Coming up on today's show. A lot of times, the stuff that I think about the least, that I put the least pressure on to be good, is the stuff that ends up staying and ends up being the best. Welcome to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Get in touch with me by writing to podcast at nhte.net. Or instead of email, you can DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. on the ground. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Los Angeles, my guest is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist who has released three singles this year, the latest of which came out on September 1st. Plus, he has another new song coming out next week, Friday, January 5th. By the age of 12, he had co-headlined international guitar festivals in Mexico and toured around the U.S., After college, he moved to Nashville, where he continued to tour for other artists at the professional level for years until setting his sights on his own project. His background even includes having recorded with George Clinton. You've been hearing the song of his that came out on September 1st called Happy Mountain Thing. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Nyan Fader. Hey, Bruce. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for having me on the show. You bet. You bet. Glad to have you here. Let's start things off by having you share with us first all about the song of yours that was just playing called Happy Mountain Thing. What is the song about? What inspired you to write it? Where did you record? All the details behind that track. Yeah, of course. So the song is is pretty deeply inspired by uh, going off into the mountains. Um, it, it's a little on the nose as far as the title is concerned, but I recently have just been finding myself kind of longing for the camping mountain experience and I went out and did it most recently the longest stint of time I had was spent in uh, Wyoming in the Teton area and I found that to be super inspiring on a creative and personal level Um, it felt emotionally uplifting mixed with a certain brand of nostalgia for me which felt a little out of place at first i mean i didn't know where that was coming from because i'm from the florida keys where i'm just surrounded by ocean and it's you know we're we're at sea level meanwhile i go to the mountains and it kind of feels like home so the song kind of came about as i was thinking about uh this kind of mix of anthemic nostalgia the the sheer vast openness that i feel when i'm hiking up to what feels like a precipice or a a beautiful view or something. And I kind of wrote the song with all of that in mind to, to paint a picture of both the feeling and the scenery and specifically how I feel. But I figure for, for a lot of people, it's, it's probably very similar just witnessing, you know, the, the, the beauty and the, the, the power of something like that. So I, uh, I had that thought in mind and 
I had been listening to some bluegrass artists, actually, uh, the Arcadian Wild. I was listening to them and Bonnie Light Horseman, who's one of my favorite bands. And so they kind of between the two of them, I developed this a little more bluegrass inspired sound and mixed it with my own brand of stacked harmonies and went into my little studio in Nashville, this little pool house I have out back mm. and just laid down the song. At least the the bones for the song were laid down within the hour. It was a very quick process. I did it at home, laid down the guitars, uh, which I had actually thought of the guitar part. I'm going, I'm backtracking now. <laughs> the The guitar part I had written while I was, in Paradise Valley, actually, in, like, Emigrant, Montana. Hmm. Another, like, amazing mountain scenery situation, hanging out with a really close musical and personal friend of mine, Stephanie Quayle. So I wrote that guitar part, and then I remembered it in the writing session for Happy Mountain Thing, thinking it would be perfect. Hmm. And I just came up with this kind of like I said before, anthemic vocal part and harmonized as much as I thought could possibly, you know, as many harmonies as I could jam into one song. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And the, the, the lyrics, the melody, the, it all kind of just came to me in this very, very quick stream of consciousness thing. I don't like to filter myself too much when I'm in that flow mm. state. And, the foundation of the song, like I said, took, you know, about an hour or so. I spent the rest of the day demoing it out. And then over the next couple of weeks, I just added little parts here and there. Well, let me say you've done a wonderful job of painting a very vivid picture for the audience. And I am not somebody who hikes yet. I felt like I was up there with you and it did make me think was it a case of right in that moment you got the idea and literally sat down wherever you were hiking and either jotted something down or sang a little something into your phone? Because I picked up on when you said you're back in the studio and you remembered the guitar part. So that tells me you didn't have anything with you to reflect back on. So how exactly did you go from being up there in the mountains to where you were recording it in your studio in Nashville? Well, um, thank you, by the way. That's, that's my goal. Um, but I, I think it's sometimes you come up with a part that sticks in your brain um, so thoroughly. At least I do. And um, I remember hearing an interview from uh, Bjork, this artist. Uh, Bjork, I'm sure a lot of people know. Oh, yeah. um, and she, she was saying that her her writing process includes um, having an idea and specifically not recording it or you know trying to video it or however voice mm. memo is like super common now and her um, screening process for ideas is whether or not she can remember it mm. um, so what happened with this one was I had the idea I came down I kind of fleshed it out on the guitar that I had at the time and then I put it down and then I went to Nashville like soon after. And then I voice memoed it kind of filtered down into like what I, you know, what I really uh, thought was 
good at the time. Mm-hmm. And then that voice memo kind of sat for a while before I found the right melody for it. So it it was kind of a mixture of both. Yeah, yeah, I see, I see. Folks, if you've been with me a long time, thank you so much. I really appreciate each and every one of you that listen, regardless of your location or whether you're a first-time or long-time listener. Way, way back on episode 107 of this show, my guest was David Fader. Yes, as in Nyan's father. So tell us, Nyan, about your life growing up in a musical household with a father who is a professional musician and studio owner. Yeah, of course. It was um, I it was definitely I've, I was afforded a lot of opportunities. I didn't even realize, yeah, the the extent to which, you know, they're just the the uniqueness. I hate to use the word unique in that way because it's pretty finite, but I think you know what I mean. Um, so. I was basically just given a guitar and a piano at some point and you know all throughout life my dad would sit me down for little moments here and there and just he'd be like okay play this lick back play this idea <laughs> that that was kind of how he taught me how to be a musician <laughs> he would uh, he would have an idea and he would give me a guitar play it he said play it back and for that I'm super grateful because it developed my musical ear. It it kind of gave me the opportunity to be in what we call an ear player first and foremost, mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody who thinks about theory before they think about how it sounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Other than that, I mean, we we played together at least every weekend. I mean, I I gigged with him early on. Um, I picked up a guitar at two and he started teaching me my first e chord then and then by the time i was five i was playing i was playing with him on stage for at least one of his songs that would be salagua and so i I just spent a lot of my time growing up playing on stage with him and and kind of getting thrown into the fire which is his preferred teaching method for me at least, which is also great because now I feel like I find myself in situations, musical situations all the time, especially live. And I'm perfectly comfortable not having any clue what's about to happen. Mm. Well, I did also refer to him as a studio owner. So when you were talking about Happy Mountain thing and you said, I recorded it myself in my studio in Nashville, that tells me that as your father was doing what you just described, he was probably also showing you the recording studio life. Am I correct? And then maybe that's how you got your introduction to ultimately being able to, in 2023, being able to record yourself? Yeah, I think so. He he has this beautiful studio that he built in our backyard, and myself and, and close friends of mine would go in. We had free reign of all of the gear. We had access to pretty much do whatever we wanted as long as we knew how to use it and weren't going to break it. <laughs> he he was very hands-on when he needed to be and also hands-off when we were like okay we want to we want to make this music he'd be like okay the studio is yours mm. i remember having sleepovers in the live room in high school just because like it it seemed so novel and fun and <laughs> yeah so he he's always got some really insightful tips and, and tricks and I, I send all my music to him once it's out of the demo phase and I'm thinking I actually want the world to hear it it always get, 
it's filtered through his ears and mm-hmm. my mom's. Mm-hmm. They're both very, very good for that. But yeah, as, as far as the me- the mechanics of the studio go, he absolutely enabled me to just feel like, I mean, c- completely capable. Like, like there's no reason why I should feel like there's anything prohibitive about recording. So cool. So cool. And folks, I will have a link on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net, to episode 107. So you can go back and listen to my interview, gosh, just over seven years ago with David Fader. Nyan, tell us then about your musical influences as you were coming up. Yeah, so, yeah, I'll, I'll start with the, my, my very first musical love was the music of Dan Byrne, who... I I was thinking about this recently and it's he he's got this more folky sound you know and and a lot of his songs are very funny and I I grew up with my parents putting him on and we would dance to him or put it in the car and there were some lyrics that I wasn't necessarily allowed to sing back <laughs> at school because you know they were a little inappropriate but that that folky sound is is really foundational for me and I had no idea until recently I, I made the connection and now I'm sitting here making folk inspired music. Mm. Uh, and then also we listened to a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan and I became obsessed with him as a guitar player. Mm. My dad built me a guitar that was specked out very similarly to his kind of signature Stratocaster. Uh, and I just, I, for a while there, I just wanted to play blues. There are some, only lightly embarrassing videos of me <laughs> as a younger player on YouTube playing, you know, just just playing my blues licks, my, my Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff. In addition to that, there was a phase, and this is kind of a forced influence, <laughs> but Leonard Cohen, I... Uh, so my, my mom would basically she, she she had a phase where she put his cd on every morning driving me to school and i i i definitely took that in on a subconscious level but consciously i i thought i didn't like it and he had this deep voice that i actually made like a paradox track about i it was i was like making fun of his voice hmm. um but now i go back and I, I read his poetry all the time and, and just, or just read his lyrics. He's got a bunch mm. of books out. And I listen to him all the time and I'm realizing that he was a major influence that I didn't even realize was happening. And I was kind of exhausted by his music, but I just heard it so much. So there's no way I could be that young and not have it kind of seep into my, my psyche. Other ones include Bob Dylan, I feel a special kind of kinship with him because we share the same birthday. Hmm. So that always makes me very excited to listen to more Bob. And again, he was another one that was like playing in the house all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah. And then my other two big ones were two saxophone players that I absolutely learned every solo I possibly could in college when I studied saxophone. It was John Coltrane and Michael Brecker, two completely different players, but you'll find Michael Brecker is a student of the John Coltrane lineage. Mm. 
so there is a there is a thread there but i i would have to say there's there's an element of their playing a kind of a almost spastic or it's like a a very energetic impressionist view of harmony as it pertains to melody at least in the context of improvisation and that bleeds into my writing style too i i go for they call it a wall of sound which was more of a joe henderson thing as far as saxophones go but i feel like it comes back from the coltrane lineage and record did that as well just kind of creating as much sound as you can from the deepest pits of your emotion and not really worrying about i mean anything you're like there in in those moments it's it seems like you know there's something else coming out of the instrument it's, it's like they're channeling wow. some other spirit or something and, and wow. that yeah to me that's translatable in every corner of the music world and so that other than just as a saxophone player i respect them immensely sure sure and i want to i want to stick with that instrument although before i ask you the next question audience i'm also going to put a link on the show page for nyan's episode on nhte.net to the milestone 500th episode a few months ago because my guest was Kenny Wayne Shepherd and you heard Nyan talk about Stevie Ray Vaughan and Kenny Wayne Shepherd told a really cool Stevie Ray Vaughan story on that episode so if you never heard that interview please use that link and go back and listen to episode 500 also but since you're also naming names and we're talking about saxophone Nyan I in the intro, I mentioned someone who I want to go back to. Tell us about your time spent as primarily a saxophonist and recording with George Clinton. Yeah, so so when I went to college, or when I was getting ready to go to college, I decided that I wanted to study jazz. And I, for some reason or other, I couldn't tell you now, but I, in my mind, I was thinking jazz guitar is lame. Huh. <laughs> it's not. But <laughs> at that point, I was like, I agree. It's not. It, it's not. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. In in fact, I mean, some of my favorite musicians are jazz guitarists. I, I don't know why my brain was going there, but I think <laughs> I think I just wanted a little change of, of scenery, musically speaking. So the other instrument that I was kind of okay at was saxophone mm -hmm. so i i bought a tenor sax and practiced a lot and got into florida state and i i really think the main reason why they let me in at that point because i was not a great saxophonist i think they let me in because the saxophone professor at the time bill kennedy had a similar upbringing to mine mm. And he could see and hear that I was like a, a, a worthwhile musician, like worth investing time in. But Interesting. He, he could also see and hear that I didn't have any foundation on the saxophone, mm -hmm. at least not formally. So he allowed me into the studio and basically said, like, hey, like, I'm going to teach you myself. I'm not going to pawn you off on any, any grad students for private lessons. And, and we're going to really really work on technique for the first couple of years and i am infinitely grateful for that because it became one of my comfort zone instruments kind of meditate through it now and so i was playing saxophone and after a couple of years i was 
you know, no more imposter syndrome. I, syndrome. Mm. I officially felt like I was a saxophone player and studying jazz at Florida State, which is a lot of straight ahead and um, and some more modern stuff. But the reason why I picked saxophone specifically was because I heard a Michael Brecker solo, who I talked about mm-hmm. earlier, mm-hmm. on this song called Some Skunk Funk. And I... I heard that solo and it, it's a live version on YouTube with like Mike Stern on guitar and, and I heard it and decided that I wanted to someday be able to play that solo. Wow. And I, I played a little bit of it, but not, not quite there technically speaking. Uh, so anyways, I was a sax player and a similar thing kind of happened with other students that happened with my professor. They, they heard that I was musical but just needed to practice. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty serendipitous because I was invited to join a bunch of different bands that shaped my musical palette. Mm. First one was called fungal junk and they were so much fun. I would play on weekends. We do covers of like D'Angelo and just, just all kinds of modern soul, you know, jazz funk, just all, all, all kinds of great stuff. And I was actually playing a show with them a few years into a few years after joining the band and this uh professor Michael Backhand, I believe it was it was him. He heard me playing and he was kind of a scout for George Clinton uh. who has a studio in Tallahassee. And so he heard me playing and he was like, You would be perfect is part of like the horn section wow. on George Clinton's next album. Like, would you be interested in playing? I was like, of, of course, wow. what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> but then he kind of threw me a bit of a curveball, and he said, do you, do you play Barry sax? And at the time I didn't own a Barry sax, but I borrowed one from kind of one of my family's, it, it's a chosen family member, Mark Berner. Um, he played saxophone with my dad for years and and he's been also like a major player in enabling me as a saxophonist in every way like giving me my first alto sax when I was little and and I've bought a couple saxophones from him here and there throughout the years and so he lent me this very sax and I had to kind of speed learn how to play mm. for real and then I ended up in this recording session playing very sax which to me is I think I think it's an honor to be asked to play Barry Sax for a funk horn section because that's the only instrument that really has its own voice. Cuz there'll be figures where the Barry where the rest of the section goes kind of against the Barry and you do like these these rhythmic figures that are based off of the Barry Sax as a foundation like Tower of Power style. And so that to me was a huge honor. And leading the horn section, I didn't mention this, but leading the horn section in that session was uh, Fred Wesley, who played, who famously played for James Brown. Boy, oh boy. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And folks, I'm listening very intently to everything Nyan's saying, but that darn trivia part of my brain is racing around going, has there ever been a parent and a son or daughter on Now Hear This Entertainment before? And I'm going, stop it. I'm trying to listen to what he's saying. And then all of a sudden the answer came out, Jamie O'Neill and her daughter, Aaliyah Good, 
so now I can focus 100% instead of 99% on what Nyan is saying. So while we're at the point in your life where you're talking about FSU, in the intro, I also mentioned that after college, you moved to Music City. Describe for us your time spent as a music director and band leader on the road, albeit based in yeah. Nashville. Totally, yeah. Based in Nashville is the key <laughs> to that. I I spent maybe two or three nights a week at home, at mm. least for the first couple of years of that job. One of our close family friends, like a like a big sister to me, Heather Bond, she called me while I was still in Tallahassee and she said, I have this artist, Stephanie Quayle. She needs a guitar player and somebody who can take over as band leader. And I think you guys would get along great. And I said, yeah, great. Like that sounds good to me. You know, I, I love Nashville. I would love an excuse to move up there. And so I went to visit and kind of audition and I walked into Stephanie's house and we just, we just kind of hang, like we just hung around and, and played a couple songs. Mostly we were just catching a vibe for each other. We realized that we have a couple mutual friends from the Keys and from her hometown. And and she was like, okay, great, you're hired. So wow. a few weeks later, wow. I just packed my, like, my little Honda Accord, my 99 Honda Accord, <laughs> and just stuffed it full of everything <laughs> and moved up to Nashville and pretty much immediately started gigging with Stephanie. Mm. And then eventually, when I felt comfortable with it, I took over as her band leader, which also encompassed the music director duties. So that's why I call myself a music director and band leader, because I kind of did all of the above. A lot of times, those will be separated roles on the road, but it involved rehearsing the band booking the rehearsal session and like making sure everybody was available i would get together with stephanie on set lists and just kind of arrange the show i also would advance shows uh, make sure you know all the venues knew exactly what we had gear wise and what we needed when it came to actually playing the show i was kind of if if there had to be a conductor then it would fall on my shoulders to basically make sure that we all the band if we got lost or something we'd all end up on wow. the on the route you know wow. so and that was that was just amazingly helpful i got an insight to the music industry you know kind of a crash course that i don't know that i would have had otherwise i, I just kind of be, i became fully capable of you know understanding and, and putting out any kind of fire that could happen after a couple of years of of just having to figure it out i mean sometimes you'd show up to the venue and and there would be total miscommunication you just mm. have to somehow make the show happen <laughs> you know so yeah I, I toured primarily with stephanie for years and I think we've been to at least every state in the U.S. Mm. We also went over and played a show in Spain, which was fun. We opened for Steve Earle just outside of Madrid, and it was uh, it was wild. So cool. So cool. Wow. Wow. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Los Angeles 
by singer-songwriter multi-instrumentalist Nyan Fader. Visit his official website at nyanfader.com. I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. As I mentioned in the intro, he released three singles this year and has another coming out next week, Friday. That's January 5. So use the logo, the link, on Nyan's website to get those songs and more from Apple Music. You will also see a Spotify logo there, so you can go follow him on there. Social media-wise, nyanfader.com has links for both Instagram and TikTok, so do follow him on those platforms as well. Look for merchandise on his website and find him on Bands in Town for information on live shows so you can go see him perform. I think it might have been two weeks ago when I mentioned that whether we all like it or not, we're about to be besieged by talk of New Year's resolutions. I want to encourage you, whether you're a musician, a painter, an actor, a filmmaker, an author, whatever you do that you want people to know about, make one or more of your New Year's resolutions about investing in yourself and your career so you can get more results, whatever that looks like for you. Bookings, sales, followers, whatever you're looking for. Specifically, I invite you to take the online course that I have at interviewtipscourse.com. It's video and it's on demand, so you do it whenever it best fits into your schedule. You don't have to worry about, darn, I'm not available that date that he's offering it or that evening. All my years running, now hear this incorporated in working with clients, plus all my years working in pro sports and the Olympic movement, not to mention hosting this show for more than nine and a half years, I have taken all that experience and given you more than two dozen tips for when you're being interviewed on radio, TV, podcasts, etc., so that you get more results from those opportunities. Plus, there's even a module where I give you something like 15 different resources you can use to find more interviews. Go there now, interviewtipscourse.com, and set yourself up for success. Nyan, let's shift over to hearing about your writing process. Oh, yeah. So um, it's uh, it, it's very kind of throw and go in the beginning. I'll, I'll usually have an idea. Um, I don't like to wait for inspiration to hit, but those are usually the best times. But if I have a little kind of inkling of an idea, I'll just throw everything at the wall or try to. I'll... I'll you know, if, if I have access to my studio, I'll record every idea, every peripheral idea, every supporting idea, and just kind of get it all down. I'll kind of mumble melody and, and somewhat like some lyrical content in there. Because mm-hmm. I find that whatever syllables and, or sounds, mostly vowel sounds, come up when you're just coming up with a melody are usually in my in my head at least they're best paired with that melody so i try to keep it a similar sound i I try to fit the lyrics into the sounds that i'm hearing when i first think of the melody and so i think that's a super important concept that um, i've been talking about with a lot of my songwriter friends as well just kind of allowing the words to sound good and sound right. And then, and then you, and then I just, I just mess with it 
and 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 tinker with the meaning of the lyrics and try to kind of have them meet in the middle have mm. the two things like the lyrics need to be impactful and and for me i like to write impressionistic lyrics they might not necessarily be super specific or at least they don't have to be as long as they sound good and they are still relatable in some way i feel like the more specific the more specifically relatable but the more vague you are with your lyrics i feel like you you can paint in, in my mind it's like a more vivid picture of the feeling the more impressionistic the lyrics are at least for my stuff so yeah i'll, I'll sit there and, and tinker with the melody and the vowel sounds and until i get some lyrics that I like, and then I just run it. And it's the same thing, you know, same, same kind of process that I use for the music. I just throw all of the ideas that I have at the wall. And, and then I kind of filter it down after the fact, once I have the music and the melody and the lyrics, and then I have kind of a foundational thing, then I start to really get picky with what's going to stay and what's going to go. And a lot of times the stuff that I think about the least that I put the least pressure on to be good is the stuff that ends up staying and ends mm. up being the best. Wow. Which is, I, I like that. It, it, it feels very natural to me. It, it feels like a, almost like a naturalistic way of writing. It, it feels the most connected to my inner being when it's just, it comes out of me and I'm like, okay, this, this is the first idea that I had. And usually the first idea is the best if it works. <laughs> yeah, but I still get to what you're saying. And I don't want to dumb it down because I don't want to do it a disservice. But because I do completely understand your point, it almost seems like if it flows out of you that naturally, then, gosh, I really hate to use this expression, but it must have been meant to be. Meaning that the flip side is you're almost pressing too hard and you're overthinking, I got to get this lyric right. And sure, of course, everybody wants to write their, their best song each time out. But if you understand the spirit with which I'm describing that, if you're pressing so hard that you're overthinking these lyrics, maybe those aren't going to be the ones that come out to be best as compared to the ones that just flowed so naturally. Totally. And, and it's, yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's like, Sometimes the ones that flow naturally come out and you might think in the moment, oh, that doesn't really make sense. And then you go back to it a week later and it it just blossoms into this completely new, beautiful meaning that you just maybe weren't thinking of because your head was in a different space. Yeah, I love it. Tell me this, though, before I ask you a follow-up question. We talked before about your college years and about all things saxophone. 2023 is the saxophone still very present today or is it, no, I left that behind after college and I'm just all about the guitar nowadays? It's still very much, it's still very present. It's not as present as it used to be. Um, that I used to practice for anywhere from four to six hours a day. Whoa. Yeah. And now I, I don't do that so much anymore, mostly because I don't really have the time, but when it comes down to making music at a at a high level and and if if i feel like i i need to be virtuosic <laughs> in any way i usually that's when i go to the saxophone if mm. if i feel like I, I need to be 
held back by nothing. That's the instrument that I try to speak through. And actually, I just moved here, and but my friend and roommate Ryan and I immediately formed this band with a couple other friends from around town. And I'm playing saxophone in that. It's more like art, uh-huh. punk, rock. I don't even know how to explain it. <laughs> and I, I try to put saxophone in all of my recordings, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't normally have a place in that kind of more folky world. But I think it deserves a place. Mm. I've heard some beautiful uh, Bonnie Light Horseman, like I mentioned earlier, and Bonnie Vare recordings where there's, I think they use the same saxophonist and it's just, it, it's a beautiful addition. And so I try to also incorporate that because I can, it's relatively easy for me. And I think as we were saying earlier, it's another extension of who I am. It, it just, it flows, it flows, you know, just as easily as, a nice turn of phrase or a nice melody or maybe even easier. Yeah. All very nicely said. And thank you, by the way, for the clarification in there. I was wondering, he has made references to his studio in Nashville, but I said that he's calling in from Los Angeles. What's he doing in Los Angeles? So you just told us that you just moved there. So I do want to go back to when you were talking about your writing process, because the two songs of yours that are being played on this episode, Happy Mountain Thing and Glacier Bay, both refer to a common environment, no pun intended. Tell us about the influence of the outdoors, mountains, and nature in your writing. Yeah, of course. I think I need to get on a trail or something at least once a week, or I feel like I have a hard time you know, getting my head screwed on right. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it, it's kind of a return to home base. Mm. in a lot of ways and and i think i I mentioned earlier i I just get this feeling of like ancient vastness and 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 power especially around mountains and to me that is so potent and so beautiful and amazing and and i to me there is a sound in there and i'm always kind of mining for that sound In, in nashville i used to go to one or two different trails but I, I try to kind of keep it similar because I, I really like to get to know, you know, pretty much every tree and, and just really kind of soak in the forest. And then moving out here, I stopped in a lot of beautiful mountainous locations. And it's, you know, you get to view this glorious landscape versus before I was viewing this glorious tree in the forest. But, you know, if whether it's down to like, you know, a lichen on a tree or a, a nice mushroom or a flower, like anything that just s- stops and kind of rips me out of my my mental chatter to me is, is beautiful and, and worth writing about. And for Happy Mountain thing that was that was sitting, you know, in a valley and then watching the mountains or or being in the mountains and, and chopping wood for for the night uh it's all of those feelings kind of enmeshed together uh for glacier bay specifically i was following the feeling of reading a john muir excerpt from one of his essays about his uh, first venture into alaska and seeing glacier bay for the first time and i i haven't been there myself but i read about it through his through his voice and just immediately felt this like this very 
profound pull mm. to mm. write something that feels like what I think it would feel like for me to visit a place like that based off of what I've felt before and how I've felt that it sounded, uh, how, how the feeling sounded internally. And so, yeah, I, I was looking up like a bunch of pictures and just doing my research on the area, and the Muir Glacier, and he talks about it in, in great detail in his wilderness essays. And it felt like sometimes the inspiration just hits and I think it's, I think it's pretty potent and I think it's pretty telling when I can just even read about the outdoors or the wilderness. And I'm like, okay, I have to write a song about that. You know? Yeah. And I like that you're citing him and his essay because I'm also thinking of musical influences, right? In the first half of the show, we heard about your musical influences as you were coming up, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan, you listed a whole bunch of them. And so what about present day? Who would you say are your main musical influences now? I know there's two in particular that you've mentioned once or twice already, and, and you're certainly free to repeat those. But as I mentioned, now in late 2023, who would you say currently are your musical influences? Yeah, so um, definitely I've mentioned Bonnie Light Horseman and Bonnie Vare. I feel like they're kind of in the same camp in a lot of ways. I know they're friends, at least I've read that they're friends. So they they both have this just like beautiful melancholy in their music that I I chase or I, I, I try to chase and probably will forever try to chase as most do with their influences. I draw from Bonnie Vare, at least in the studio, I I draw from there. Or Justin Vernon's ability just to create these like landscape pictures of whatever musical idea it's very like things filter in and out here and there and you know there's little tape warbles or like a little saxophone flutter or a little piano stab or whatever it's very stream of consciousness feeling and then a couple other ones i didn't mention uh, a new one gregory allen isakoff i think that's how you say it or isakoff i've heard it pronounced both ways he he's got this this dark melancholic drawl kind of approach to folk music that to me is so enchanting and kind of a lower voice and it doesn't seem like he has to say a lot just in terms of the the density of his lyrics in the songs it's just there's there's an openness and like i said before like a drawl that it traps me every time. I mean, he, to me, I, I feel like I could just sit there and listen to him for hours. Mm. To me, he paints a perfect picture of like a sunset or, or a nighttime Western, you know, kind of feeling or vibe. I don't, yeah. He's one of my main influences now, um, at least for sonic textures. Mm -hmm. Another one it's been a long time influence of mine was mute math. Uh, they're this, this rock band that I grew up on and still I really go, I go for their kind of energy and, and they, they have this, this modern electronic infused sound, but it's still very, and I hate to use this word. It's very jammy, hmm. but they, 
the the energy that they capture in their recordings still to this day i i try to emulate in some ways and and it's they, they have like kind of that garage rock band mentality it seems like they just like go for it but then they you know they'll come out with this polished and beautiful project and yeah they're they're a, a modern influence even though i've been listening to them for you know most of my conscious musical life just because <laughs> i always can go back to them and feel something intense from their music another one is hosier to me he's got some of the best it, just some of the most poetic lyricism in pop music mm. the, his his understanding of um, again, he's another artist who has very dark undertones in his lyrics, but it's it's romantic. It's like it's a, it's a romantic darkness, and he's also got that anthemic sound. I admire him deeply for his compositional his his style, his compositional style, and also his singing voice is incredible. I've seen some live videos of him. I haven't seen him live yet, but I've seen some videos of how he performs his music and it's just so pure mm. and again, raw. I think that's definitely a theme in my influences is the people who feel like they're drawing from a, a just a core of raw energy and they're accurately portraying that, mm. which also leads me to Rustin Kelly. That's to me, the best live show I've ever seen was Rustin Kelly at wow. the Ryman auditorium a couple uh. of years ago. He put on, just an incredible performance and he's got this voice that's so husky and deep and his lyrics he has this album called dying star where he highlights his journey through like drug addiction mm. and kind of in and out and and he writes a lot of songs about it, it seemed like a healing process for him and i don't have any like connection to that personally but i I just feel like his album is so incredibly, or that album specifically is so incredibly impactful. And then he released a newer one called The Weakness. And that has a special place in my heart because he had just written the title track off of that, I think, like maybe a couple weeks before he did that show. And he just comes out and he's like, okay, I have this new song and I want to try it on y'all and, and see how you like it. Mm. And he plays this song and I remember having like an out of body experience. I was like, this mm. is the most amazing thing I've heard live. Wow. wow. And a couple years later I was at a restaurant and I just heard it on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize he had released it. And I was thinking, Oh my God, this is, this is that song. This is that song. Crazy. There's no way it's out. And then I Crazy. looked and I didn't even saw it. Yeah. And so, and he, he's another one I can always go back to. He's got, Similar to Gregory Allen Isakoff, he's got this like dark folk drawl, but Rustin comes from a more southern gothic place, I feel like. And again, his, his lyricism is incredible. His songwriting is, it's not simple, but it almost sounds simple until you really try to dig into it and then you realize how complex it is. And it's, there's a whole level of beauty in that. Yeah, I could, I could talk about those guys for hours. <laughs> <laughs> Transitioning away from influences to something that I think there's still a connection to, you are in Los Angeles, and we heard that you at one point lived in Nashville, and obviously those are 
two of the top three major music markets in the U.S. that are always referred to in a trio. Can you talk about the importance, Nyan, of a creative community of artists? Absolutely. Yeah. My childhood involves that as well. Um, I had a couple really close friends and we just, you know, on, on the weekends when other people were partying, we were in the studio until 4 a.m. just mm. making songs. It, it's like the most inspiring position to be in, just free to make anything with somebody who you deeply trust in a musical way, you know, somebody who you love. And I, throughout, you know, the rest of my life, I developed like a lot of close contacts in music in that way and, and people that I love and trust in music. And uh, a lot of them were kind of solidified in college. And the next couple of years after college, I found that like, most of the people that I want to be around <laughs> had moved to L.A. Mm. It's an amazing thing being in a community or at least being around people that inspire you and you kind of inspire each other. I, I found that in Nashville, I loved it. It was a little harder for me to remain diligent in my inspiration quest, I'll say. Mm -hmm. Not because I didn't have a great, loving, strong community there, but I, I do feel like the community I have here sees me in a different way and inspires me in a different way. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I get that. a lot of the people that I grew up with in music are here, you know, mm -hmm. like one of my best friends, Ryan, who I moved in with, we've been writing music together forever. We've been in a million bands together and, mm. you know, just, just being able to be around people like that is to me the most important thing right now. Um, especially as I'm developing my voice and, you know, my artist project is still in its baby phase. Um, and I think the community, I mean, it holds you up when you need it. It also kind of reels you back when you're mm. a little too much when you're on one, you know, wow. um, everybody's super supportive and like I said, mutually inspired, um, and not to mention, we all just hang out around the fire, or, <laughs> you know, grab a drink for somebody's birthday or whatever. It's just, it's casual and it's creatively vast. Another thing I should probably mention is in college, at one point we were all into this guy, uh, Napoleon Hill, who wrote The Laws of Success. And he had this idea, most of the stuff I didn't really take to heart, but he had this idea called Mastermind and a, a group of like-minded in their I guess diligence in, in their in their search for success. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily like minded in that they're in the same industry or trying right. to do the same thing, but right. they're all equally uh, hungry. So they would if you know if they remained in the same community, if they you know hung out with each other and bounced ideas off of each other, then it kind of accessed this universal knowledge. And to me, that's super beautiful. And to me, that that's that's community um, yeah that's going to a place and having your community and having your people yeah that's a great analogy that's a great analogy and as we get ready to wrap up here you did talk about it before however we're going to close today with the song of nyan's that 
It's coming out next week, Friday, the 5th of January, one called Glacier Bay. Nyan, before I let you go and I play that track, just share with us first anything else that you want to say about this song, if you would, please. Of course, yeah. It's, it's got a certain depth and darkness that I generally don't go for, but to me, it's kind of like what it would sound like entering the bay and, you know, kind of being plunged maybe not physically but plunged into the the power of the glacier i wrote it in my backyard here <laughs> in la so it's it's very interesting it's it's kind of a juxtaposition there <laughs> but the the kind of driving ever forward motion was something i was really going for i mean it's it's like you're on a you're on a adventure and there's cold air cold wind you know, whipping at your face. And the the goal of this song was to kind of juxtapose that ever forward momentum with the close-up vocals and, and super vulnerable um, lyrics, which I appreciate. And I thus far have not been super comfortable talking about my own emotional experience. And so to me, this paints a little bit it's it's a little deeper mm. of a of a picture of kind of a a moment in in my recent past where I just felt a little helpless. I felt like a, I was giving a little too much of myself and that wasn't being reciprocated and, and mm. that's no fault of their own. It's just sometimes you're in a situation where where you feel like at least you're giving so much of yourself, all of yourself, and you're, you're losing yourself in this thing. And But you still want whatever this is to work, whether it's a relationship or, or friendship or whatever. And to me, it's kind of the feeling of what it's like when you're giving all of yourself. And it's, it's like this one-sided exchange. And I try to not villainize the other person or mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm. on the other side of this because i i don't think they deserve to be villainized mm. i think it's i think it's a it's it's a pretty i mean it's a one-sided exchange in a lot of ways like people aren't required to give the same kind of things at the same depth that you are but when you're doing that it's it's incredibly damaging and draining i just think it deserves to be talked about more and from a like i said just now like from a position of not villainizing yeah, the other person yeah. like this is an entirely personal experience yeah it so. certainly gets talked about in the let's villainize the other person way far far too often musically so it is mm -hmm. high time that someone takes the opposite approach great description great conversation it's been wonderful having you on now here this entertainment nyan thank you so much and congratulations on the new song coming out next friday and happy new year happy new year thank you so much for having me on the show it's been awesome My i super pleasure. appreciate you <laughs> you bet you bet and folks with that i will wrap up another new episode of now hear this entertainment my sincere thanks to singer songwriter multi-instrumentalist nyan fader do visit his official website at nyanfader.com as I said before, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. When you hear the song of his that I'm about to play and you love it, 
take advantage of the link at the top of his website to Apple Music. So you can go get that as well as his other original songs, including the three he released in 2023. Remember to give Nyan a follow on Spotify, which you will also see a link for at the top of his website. Today, I followed him on Instagram, and I know he would appreciate you doing the same. For those of you on TikTok, he is on there as well. So look for those two social media icons on nyanfader.com so you can engage with him that way. Remember, too, about the merchandise that's available on his website, and remember to look him up on Bands in Town to be notified when he will be performing in your area. I do truly hope that you like this show, that you're enjoying what I'm doing every week on the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for having stuck with Nyan and I, and I'm going to assume that that means that you do like the podcast. You can take action to let me know that you appreciate the work that I do to keep making this show happen every week, every month, more than nine and a half years without missing once by going on my podcast website, nhte.net, and then using the yellow Buy Me a Coffee logo that you will see there. This is not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with any brand or chain. It's just a fun way for you to send your support, your thanks to me, including a note that I will see when you utilize that option. You can also just head directly to buymeacoffee.com slash Bruce W. That's going to do it for episode 515. Thanks ever so much for listening. I wish you a happy new year as I send you out today with another song from Nyan Fader. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Glacier Bay. for